Good morning to all of you watching us by live stream. We are very excited this morning to share with you the word of God. And to all of our faithful Elevate family, we're very excited that you're here. That's right. We're going over in the name of Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you guys by live stream. Um, some of you have been asking and it's, it's made known to me to mention, but uh, your tithes and your offerings in this time are greatly appreciated and much needed. And so we want to honor you for your faithfulness. There should be a link on the bottom of the screen for you to give. And so I'm just going to pray. So all you got to do is click that button and, and follow the instructions and hit donate and all that other stuff. And for those of you that are watching by live stream, you don't have to give, but you, you get to. And if those of you that aren't part of our Elevate family, if you'd like to give, you can follow the link as well. But we do a prayer out over our offering. And so we don't want to keep you out just because you're not here. We want to include you in the offering prayer, Elevate Miami Church. And we're here. We're celebrating a little bit because we've had three people. Yes, that's right. Three people get raises and promotions in the midst of the famine. Right? That's right. When the world goes under, the church goes over in Jesus' name. So we're going to just pray with you. We're going to just say, Father, we present our offering to you and we declare open heavens and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We declare dreams and visions to be granted, positions, promotions, provisions, resources of every kind flowing into my life. According to the promises of blessing you have made, we declare souls to be saved, lives to be changed for your glory. We partner with your kingdom. May heaven come and may Jesus have his full reward in Jesus name. Amen. So, yes, that's cool. That's awesome. So we're, we're doing a series called Thriving Through What You're Going Through. And there's a lot of people right now that could really use this word. So um, we want to thrive through what we're going through. And uh, so I want to encourage you, even if you're watching by live stream, to give yourself the gift of an hour and just let God's word speak to you this morning. So last week, I'm going to uh, just review with you a couple of points that were really important. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord promises to turn your captivity. You all know that? This is in crazy, crazy promise. God's promises are greater than anything we could ever uh, uh, hope for or imagine. And so no matter where we are, no matter what, what's overtaken us, or no matter what circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in, there is a promise over God's people that he will turn their captivity. There's a promise over all of mankind if they will look to him. But the promise exists in an eternal state over God's people. Deuteronomy 30 says, you will return to me. And you will listen to my voice. When you return to me and obey my voice and do what I tell you to, you and your children with all of your heart and your soul, that the Lord will turn or bring you back from your captivity. And the Lord will have compassion on you and he will gather you again from all of the nations where you have been scattered. Circumstances scatter us, don't they? We end up in crazy places because of circumstances. We end up in crazy places because of choices that we made. This word uh, for captivity is the Hebrew word Shaboth. And the word Shaboth means captivity, it means circumstances, and it means fortunes. So what God is saying here is if you'll come back to me and you'll turn to me and you'll look to me, I have an answer for you. I have a word for you. I have instruction for you. If you'll come back to me and listen and do what I ask you to do, I'm going to turn your captivity, I'm going to turn your circumstances, and I'm going to turn your fortunes. That's good news. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9, says this, The Lord will make you abound. Say with me, abound. Abound. 
We abound. We don't just go through. We abound. And something the Lord has been dealing with me this week and this year, and I've been just really praying it in my own heart and in my own life, is le- there's some called leaping prayers. Right? I don't know if you all know anything about that. We prayed leaping prayers for a while here. We were praying leaping prayers. And I started, felt like God was telling me to pray these leaping prayers. And the hind is, the, David always, he, there's a lot of references in the Psalms to the deer, right? The deer pants for the water. You give me the feet of the hind. I climb high places. I spring, you know, from place to place. These are consistent themes in the Psalms. And so we have been, I've been praying these prayers called leaping prayers. And I just want to pray that leaping prayer. I just want to, I'm not going to pray it, but I just want to just declare that over you that the hind doesn't go through the valley. It literally leaps from mountain peak to mountain peak. So just because, you know, some people like want to say, well, the Bible says we go through the valley. It says, no, go if you go through, you'll if I go through. So life may present you with an opportunity to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But God puts a promise over you that you can leap from, from place to place. You can leap from mountaintop to mountaintop. You can't. The Bible says we soar on eagle's wings. The Bible says we're above only and not beneath. And even if we go through the valley, you don't have to stay there. A lot of people go through the valley and nobody knows the trouble I've seen. They build a house there, Right. They want to lament, oh, come on down to misery lane. You know, we, I don't want to live in misery lane. I want to be in the high places. If God's promised me the high places and that's where I want to be, I want to leap from mountain to mountain, from high place to high place. And that's what God promises to those who are his people. He says, the Lord will make you abound. He will make you leap in all of the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock. The Lord's like, look, if you return to me and you begin to listen to me and you begin to follow me, I'm going to change everything. Your work is going to be blessed. Can I get a witness, Charmaine? All right. Your work is going to be blessed. Your children are going to be blessed. The things that you manage, here you go, Jody, are going to be increased. Right? Jody's like, I'm a supervisor. I haven't got mine yet. Well, here it comes. Right? The increase of your livestock and the produce of your land, what you manage, what you oversee, is going to increase. For the Lord will celebrate you as he celebrated those who were before you. That's a good word, too. And that's something we can jump off on. And I would like to jump off on here just for a second is that there are those that are loved by God. There are those who are in relationship with God. There are those who are friends of God. There are those who are uh, acquaintances. There are servants of God, friends of God, sons and daughters. And then there are just as a son and daughter, we are not only loved by him and we love him, but we can be celebrated by him. God celebrates his people and he celebrates those who honor him. He celebrates those who celebrate him. This is a big thing to understand, right? There are God says, and there's a promise that he will celebrate you. I want to be a person that Jesus celebrates, right? I want to be that person. I want the Lord to look at me and go, well done, good and faithful servant, my servant in whom I am well pleased. I want the Lord to look at me and say, this is a son who will do the will of his father. This is a son. I can look to you, Kevin. And when I ask you, I know you're going to do it. Will the Son of God find faith on the earth when he comes? God's looking for faith. He wants to do so many things in the earth, but he can't find people who are actually going to be faithful. You know, we run at the first sight of trouble. And a lot of times the testing in our lives is to produce faithfulness in us. And it's also a marker that heaven is watching. We're we're so busy looking at our circumstances or we're looking to God. God is looking to you to see how you're going to respond in this hour. And do you know what that determines? That determines your future upgrades and that determines whether God can trust you or not. And I'm telling you, when testing, and this is a testing over the whole earth, and I believe God is looking at his church. He's looking at his corporate church and he's looking at the individual believers within his church and he's saying, can I trust you? 
When times go dark, can I look to you? When times go dark, where will I find you? Not just in your physical position. Where will I find you in your heart? So when the time goes dark, where will Jesus find you? Where's he going to find you? That's the question. God needs people in the hour. He's looking for people, people that he can, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, searching for those to whom he can show himself strong. God is looking for some people to show himself strong. What qualifies that? Faithfulness. James says, commit these things to faithful people. It's not followers that are it's committed to. It's those who demonstrate faithfulness and consistency over time. These are the ones that Jesus entrusts to. And in this hour, he's looking to you. So if you've been freaking out, stop freaking out. Change. Give yourself a high karate. Say, I am going to pass this test. I will not fail the test of faith. I will not fail. If it costs me everything that I have and everything that I am, I will prove faithfulness before the Lord. Just a thought. We, don't, we have to understand the relationship dynamic that we have with him. We have a relationship dynamic. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. We're his sons and daughters. We're his body on the earth. He's looking to his body. Can he, where will he find us? What attitude will we be in? What you need to realize and what you need to understand is no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, only Jesus can change your captivity. Only Jesus can change your captivity. The captive person who is bound by sin, bound by guilt, bound by shame, when you become born again, you realize Jesus did, did so, just did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. You experience the freedom that's promised in the gospel because Jesus just turned, his, turned your captivity just like he said. And if it's true when you become born again, how much more is it true into all of the promises that he has made? He's faithful. God will fulfill his promises and God will turn your captivity, not just spiritually. He'll turn it emotionally. He'll turn it mentally. He'll turn it circumstantially if you give him something to work with. Jesus wants to save you, but he needs something to work with. What does he need? He needs you. You need to give him your life. He wants to do something in your world today. He wants to do something in your life today. But he needs you to do something or to give him something to work with. We think he does all this by default. Like God just shows up and just automatically starts doing things in our lives. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. The devil's going to show up and automatically do things in your life. But Jesus does nothing but by invitation. Nothing. Jesus stands and waits for you to call on him. See, the devil's a trespasser. He just shows up and starts wrecking everything, and you don't even have to do anything. You just leave, he finds an open door, and he comes in. He says, you leave the window open, he's coming through, right? He looks for landing strips in your life, things that he can attach to so that he can wreak havoc. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief, right? Thieves look for opportunities. The Bible says he's a roaring lion. So you don't have to worry about encountering the devil. You'll encounter the devil whether you want to or not. You may not know it's the devil, but it's the devil. Sometimes the devil looks just like you. It's his greatest masquerade. He masquerades as an angel of light. No, he masquerades as you. That is his, that is his number one trick, is to portray you to you. That's what he does. He speaks to you in your own voice. You're never going to succeed. It's all over. Just like they said, he's trying to get you to partner with a lie and partner with an agreement so that he can manifest. That's how the spirit world works. The spirit world works by agreement. We have to agree with the Lord and put faith in what he says. And that activates that world into ours. The devil knows this very well. He didn't create it, but he's a part of it. 
He's a fallen angel. He knows how God's kingdom works. He knows if he can get you into an agreement with him, he can manifest the lie into your life. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He had to get them into an agreement. He couldn't do anything until Adam agreed. He couldn't do anything until Eve agreed. He could do nothing. He was standing there just like a talking bird, serpent, if you will. (laughs) He couldn't do anything. He had to get them to agree. God's keeping something from you. God's not good. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't keep his word. If God kept his word and God really loved you and God wasn't keeping something from you, he'd let you do the very thing that he told you not to do. But because he's telling you something that you don't like or something that's negative to you, you and he's, he's keeping something from you. And our ancestors bought right into the lie, but the devil could do nothing until he got an agreement. You got to realize that. He, cannot, he works in the sons and daughters of disobedience. That doesn't mean people who don't know Jesus. He works in the sons and daughters of the Most High that disobey the Lord and believe lies. You believe God's not good? Satan's going to partner with you all day long. All day long. He'll reinforce that lie. He'll not only reinforce that lie into your heart, he'll manifest a reality around that lie. And he'll prove to you that God's not good. He'll put, a, he'll put a reality around you, and all of a sudden, not only will your heart be telling you God's not good, your head will be telling you not, yours not good, the same voice that you speak will be speaking back to you telling you God's not good, the circumstances will start telling you God's not good. He reinforces the lie with reality. That's why Christians don't follow realities. You have got to stop following reality. You have got to follow truth. The reality is the world's in a bad, bad place right now. They're not telling you everything. They're not. I'm here to tell you there are businesses in our planet today that are 60 days away from terminal. 60 days away from full-on bankruptcy. You don't believe it? Watch. True. That's a reality. But truth says when the world goes down, the kingdom goes up. Right? We are, we are the people that rise in darkness. We are the light of the world. We are the people that come over when everyone else is going under. That's a reality. That's a hard reality. Major movie chain today just filed for bankruptcy on Friday in Miami. Made, filed for bankruptcy. You don't think it's going to happen? I'm going to tell you giant corporations are going to fall. They're going to fall. They're going to fall. So whether you believe COVID's real or not, that will be real. You cannot shut down a nation. You cannot shut down a world for months on end. No corporation has the ability to sustain themselves like that. The federal government is not big enough and does not have enough money to support an entire continent. They're going to release $315 billion tomorrow into the SBA. It'll be gone in less than 10 days. I don't know if you guys understand that money. $315 billion will be gone in 10 days. And the majority of the companies that apply for it will get nothing. That's how serious this situation is. This is serious. It's not just serious from a health issue. This is a massive problem economically. Massive. Truth. God's got an answer. And you need to know that he has an answer. God has an answer. It will be an opportunity for the people of God to come forward when everyone else is going backwards. And you need to position yourself properly, and you cannot fear, and you cannot fall, and you cannot faint, and you cannot falter in the face of this adversity. You cannot. You've got to strengthen your heart. And if you don't have the strength, then you need to look to Jesus to give you the strength. 
If you don't have the courage, then you need to look to Jesus to give you the courage. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He will give you wisdom and he will give you revelation. Only Jesus can turn your captivity. His promise to give you supernatural increase. His promise is to celebrate you if you return to him. Hebrews says, tells us how, how do we return to the Lord? How do we even do this? Well, Hebrews tells us we return by faith. We just return by faith, knowing that he is good, knowing that he will love us, knowing that he will accept us. Those that come to him must believe that he is who he says he is and that he is a blesser, a rewarder of those who seek him. Jeremiah says, come with all your heart. Right? That's what God wants more than anything else. He wants your heart. He doesn't want lying vanities. Jeremiah is a pretty specific dude, man. You ever read Jeremiah, you want to know what the context is. He, he's blasting religion, blasting it. The entire book of Jeremiah is based upon the wayward hearts of the people and the religious pretense of those who were called to lead him. It was all about pretense, all about, all about vanity, all about religious exercise, looking good outwardly, but being corrupt inwardly, looking good outwardly, but having no value and no, no sense of spirituality whatsoever. Jeremiah 7, he stands at the door of the temple. Imagine this on a Sunday morning. People are coming in to worship at the synagogues, and Jeremiah goes, take away the lying vanities. Do not worship the Lord with lying vanities. Because what the people were doing, they were coming in going, oh, yes, Jesus, on Saturdays, on synagogue, and then they're going off and worshiping idols, cultural idols, all through the week. That was what they were doing. And Jeremiah told them, you're practicing a lying vanity. Your heart doesn't truly belong to him. Because if your heart only belongs to him on Sunday, your heart doesn't belong to him. He's a Monday through Sunday God. Right? We have a Monday through Sunday faith. We don't have a Sunday faith. We worship the Lord everything. Jesus is the context for all of our lives. The call of the Christian and the call of Christ is all of me or none of me. And that needs to be clearly understood and defined. It's all of him or it's none of him. Hot or cold. Don't, don't tell me you're going to stand in the middle because I have a distaste for lukewarm. I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to spit you right out of my mouth. It's just true. This is something that had, this was made clear to me when I came to Christ as a young man. They made it boldly clear to me. Do not give your life to Jesus unless you're willing to go all in. This is a blood oath, Kevin. This is a faithfulness unto death. This isn't, you're going to try Jesus for a season and see if he works out. This is all of you. This is unto your, fi- unto your dying breath. I was very clear on that. It was very clear to me. That message needs to be revived. You want to talk about revival? Let's revive the messages of the gospel. Let's revive the messages of the truth. And then we might see some revival among the church. Then we might see some revival in the nations if we begin to revive the word of God. Let us revive the word of God. Let's tell people what this really is, man. This is all in. I've I've run Jesus full out. From the time I was 19 years old, my foot's been on the gas. All in. Never turned back, never looked away. Jesus has never failed. Never failed. On the witness stand of my life, I will testify that Jesus has never failed. And he never will. He is faithful. Even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. (laughs) Even when I don't understand him, he's still good. 
Hebrews tells us by faith that we return with a, by faith. And Jeremiah says, all of your heart. When you search for me and you find me, when you search for me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You want to find the Lord? You want to find who God is? Search for him with all of your heart. All of your heart. The American culture has this attitude and mentality. Well, if God, God just needs to come down and show himself to me. That is arrogant narcissism. That is sinful pride. That is not a humble heart. You will never see the Lord. Arrogant pride will never see the Lord. Without humility, you will never see the Lord. He resists the proud. He's not going to show up because you demand him to. I demand. You show yourself to me. He's not going to answer that. When you come to him and you open yourself and you submit your heart and say, just pray this prayer. People that are watching by live stream, I'm super stoked. Because I know there's unbelievers watching. And that fires me up. (laughs) If you pray in your heart. And you ask the Lord, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then reveal yourself to me. And you just open your heart and let him do that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take you at his word and at your word. And he's going to create a path for you. And he's going to come into your world and he's going to reveal himself to you. He isn't going to reveal himself in that moment, but you just invited him. And so now the Lord will start arranging circumstances because of your invitation. And he will create an encounter for you. And he will show you that it's Jesus. And he will show you that it's who he says he is. God comes by invitation, not by demand. They're important. He will help, but he must be invited. He will not be demanded upon. He's a great king. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of our best. We are not his equals. We are his sons and daughters. Is your son and daughter your equal? Anybody here? Any parents here want to testify that? Yeah. Your son and daughter want to tell you that they're your equal. When they become teenagers, oh, they're your equal, right? I know just as much as you do, mom. I know just as much as you do, dad. My son tells me that. I'm like, whatever you think you know, multiply that by two, and then you've got me, okay? I'm at least twice your age, son. So whatever it is you think you know, I know twice as much. Let's just, hallelujah. Can I get a witness? (laughs) We're not equal with the Lord. We're his sons and daughters. We are have equal. We have a, a high status. We have an equality. We're seated in heavenly places. But he is without a doubt our Adonai. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our king. And he is worthy of our respect in all of those categories. He is worthy of our honor as father. He is worthy of our submission as king. He is worthy of our obedience as Adonai, as Lord. That's what we offer him. He's all of those things. And we offer him what he is worthy of according to the title that he proclaims over our life. We come by faith. Say it with me. I need to give Jesus something to work with. That's right. Jesus needs people, places, and things. This is how the kingdom operates. Well, if God wants to do something in the world, well, why doesn't he do it? Because Jesus needs people. He needs places, and he needs things. Yeah? I'll give you a simple one. Jesus, when he was going to ride in on a cult, what did he say? Go to the place, and if they ask you, say what? What does he say? The Lord has need of it, didn't he? Why didn't Jesus just surf down the road on like, like, like clouds? He needed a thing to fulfill what he wanted to do. 
He needed his people. When he needed to make a covenant and make, bring about mankind, he found Abraham. When he needed to save the world from an absolute chaos and crazy uh, choices of people, he, t- he found Moses. He's leading these He needed a man. He called Samuel. What did he say to Isaiah? Who will what? Go for us. Didn't he not say that? Does he not need, does he not need Isaiah? Yes, he needs Isaiah. He chooses through cooperation to fulfill his purposes. He's given mankind the authority in the realm of time and space. His world is greater, but he partners with our world through his people. He searches for someone to stand in a gap. What happens when no one stands in the gap? The Bible's very clear. The land falls. Is it God's will that the land fall? It's not, the God, it's not God's will that the land fall. But the land falls when no one will stand in the gap. It's God's people. It's God's will that no one perish, but all come unto salvation. It's not God's will that people die. It's not God's will that people not only die, they die separated and spend an eternity in damnation because of the cause of their sins. Christ prayed the price for their sins. Well, if Jesus wants to save them, well, why doesn't he do it? He's got a body filled with people who have mouths, who have hands, who have feet, and are him extended. You're the only Jesus people are going to encounter. I hate to tell you that. There are people in the life of the Christian who are the only, the, the only Jesus they're ever going to encounter is you. Say, that's a pretty heavy burden. What do I do? (laughs) The easiest thing you can do is invite them. It's so simple. Invite them to church. What if they say no? What does it matter to you if they say no? It doesn't matter if they say no. You need to invite them. If you can share the gospel with them, share the gospel. If you can throw down Billy Graham, then be rock Billy Graham, man. Do that. But the minimum standard is to invite. It's Andrew. Invite. Invite them to come to church. For what? I don't know. We do lots of things around here. Invite them to come to church just to come to church to hear a life-giving message. Invite them to come to church because we do baptisms and hot dogs. <laughs> Baptism and hot dogs. Oh, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Never seen that before. Yeah, come on down. Come and see. <laughs> free pictures on Mother's Day. Come on. Bring your mom. Get your kids. Going to do free pictures. Oh, okay. I could go to church for that. We do a lot of reasons for that. People go, that's gimmicky. No, it's called fish and chips. That's what it's called. Fish and chips. Y'all read your Bible, right? Fish and chips. Jesus gave a crowd. Why did the 5,000 follow him? Right? Because this is the guy who gave out fish and chips. Right? So he's giving out fish and chips. What is he doing? He's attracting a crowd to give them a message. Miracles were to attract the crowd to give them a message. The miracles are true, but they were to do... They, at the, on the, on the, that's the miracle on the front side, but the back side was the message of the kingdom. Always. In your life, you need to determine, this is a place of determination, that you are going to be that person that God can use. You are going to position yourself in the places that he has called you to be, and you are going to give him something to work with. You have to make up your mind. This stuff doesn't happen just out of the air. You have to fight for your destiny. You have to fight for the will of God in your life. The kingdom suffers violence and the what? Violent, take it by force. There is violent opposition to your destiny. Violent opposition to your destiny. The question isn't whether or not there's opposition to your destiny. The question is, is are you going to fight back? Are you going to put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth and throw it down and fight for what is rightfully yours? Goliath didn't leave, did he? Was it God's will for Goliath to stand in front of the people? You know what he was doing? He mocked the people of God. 
He mocked the Lord, but he mocked the people of God. The devil stands in your life and mocks you. And you just go, yeah, you're so right. Oh my gosh, yes, you're right. You're going to fail. Oh, I know I'm going to fail. I know I always fail. That's what I am. I'm a loser, but Jesus loves me, but I'm still a loser. You let Goliath go unanswered. Who is this non-covenant Philistine that exalts himself against the Most High God? Who is this uncovenant Philistine who defies the son and daughter of the highest? Who are you to defy my identity? Who are you to defy the promises made over my life? At what point are you going to rise up? At what point are you going to be who you're called to be? Clock's ticking. At what point? You know enough. You know enough. Some of you, you need to take a leap in faith in this year. And you need to say, I'm going all in on my identity and I refuse anything short of what God has promised me. And you know what you'll see, right, Charmaine? You're going to see breakthrough. That devil that's been shouting you down, that devil that's been mocking you, that devil that's been affronting you, all of your life is suddenly going to become a mouse because you've become the lion. You go and get yourself five smooth stones. You get yourself five smooth scriptures. Five smooth promises. And that's all you need. You put them in a bag with a little bitty sling. I'm the head and not the tail. (laughs) Above only and not beneath. I will live and not die. I will succeed and not fail. That's right. Five smooth stones, man. Five memory verses. That's all you need. In a shepherd's bag. <laughs> in a piece of string with, a, with some leather tied on it. And you can take down a giant. So pick your five smooth verses. In your life, you want to be that person. Watch this. Genesis chapter 27. This is about Esau. So Jacob and Esau. You guys know the story if you're familiar with it. Esau was the firstborn. But Esau didn't have a value for spiritual things. Esau did not value his spiritual position. Esau did not value his spiritual responsibility. And Esau did not value his spiritual calling. It was given to him and he didn't value it. And he traded it for what? Anybody know? A pot of stew. He traded the spiritual for something carnal. He traded the spiritual inheritance for worldly gain. And what ended up happening was the blessing moved over to Jacob because Jacob valued the spiritual things. Jacob valued the spiritual blessing. It says Esau sought it with tears, but he couldn't find it because he gave it away. And so at the end of Jacob's life, at the end of his father's life, uh, Isaac's life, he's dying. And so Esau comes to his father and says, bless me. And he says, your blessing has been given to your brother. And he says, don't you have another blessing for me? And he says, yeah, I got another blessing for you. This verse is preceded by a word I didn't put in here, but he says, you're going to live by the sword, Esau. Because you don't value spiritual things, you're now going to have to fight for everything that you have with your own strength. That's what he's telling him. Your strength will now have to give to you what you want. Because you didn't value the spiritual strength that was given to you, now you're, now you're left with nothing more than your own. And he says this, you shall be beneath your brother. Anybody want to be beneath their brothers? Anybody want to beneath the circumstances? I don't. And watch this. He tells him, 
Because until you value spiritual things, you're going to be beneath your brothers, but it will come to pass that if you become restless, somebody say restless. If you become restless, then you will break the yoke from your neck. When there's an Elizabethan English word called restive, and it means restless. Until it matters to you, it isn't going to matter to heaven. Until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, nothing's changing. Until you become restless, restless enough to get up and actually do something about your circumstances, nothing's changing. Well, God just needs to see me and God just needs to move. God is not moved by human need. He is not moved by human need. Read your Bible. He is moved by faith. Faith moves heaven. What's faith? I'm so restless, I'm not taking it anymore. Right? Anybody remember the movie Network? I don't know if you ever saw that movie Network. No? All right, 1970s movie. Newscaster gets up, right? Okay, I'm dating myself totally. I didn't, wasn't born in the 70s. Whatever. But in the movie, you're going to remember this line. He says, I want you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to walk to the window. I want you to open the window, and I want you to shout out, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Anybody ever heard that line? Okay, that's from the movie Network. He's telling you, this, there's a gospel truth in that movie right there. You've got to get mad, and you've got to not want to take it anymore. You've seen that movie, Shelly? you seen Rob? No? Okay, put it on the bucket list. But, you know, watch Network, movie Network. <laughs> and he says to him, until you come, become restless, until you develop a hunger and an appetite for what rightfully belongs to you, until you value spiritual things, and until you become restless, nothing's going to change. My wife gets restless. Any ladies here get restless in the home? Right? Can I get a witness? Husband leaving the toilet seat up, does that make you restless? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. How about towels on the floor? Right? Not cleaning up after themselves. Huh? Can I get a witness? <laughs> Husbands, now I'd like, I'd like to talk to the men in the room for a minute. What happens when your wife gets restless? Things change, don't they? You're taking that garbage out like she likes, right? <laughs> Nobody's, all oh, the men are like, don't, don't encourage this, Kevin. Don't, don't encourage this. <laughs> when the wife gets restless, things change. Things change. She'll look past the dirty underwear and the towels on the floor for a period of time, but eventually she's going to get restless. And when she gets restless, she's like, I'll I'll give you Sherry. Now, I don't ask for much, but it would be really nice if you would just clean up after yourself. That's kind of like how she does it. Something like that. (laughs) She'll go, she gives me a lecture. So I found out why this happened. So my son was home and he opened up the thing. And so I have, I have man soap. I don't know if everybody's got man soap. I I use man soap, right? No flower soap for me. I want man soap, right? Right. Irish spring, some kind of man, manly scent. It's got to have like a man. At least has to have the image on it. Maybe a mustache on it. I don't know. Some, some, somehow there's got to be man style. So I had two bottles of man soap in the cabinet. My son opened the cabinet and they fell out and they fell on the floor. And then my wife pointed out to me that I've walked past those things four times before she, before I actually picked it up. She's like, you, you realize that I've left this here because it's on the floor. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I didn't put it there, so I'm not picking that up. <laughs> I did pick it up, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. So anyway, when you get restless, things change. This is how things change. You have got to get restless. You will always be beneath. This is what he tells him. 
His father tells him, and he says, Esau, you're always going to be beneath. You're always going to be chasing something from behind until you become restless. When you become restless and it begins to matter to you that you're going to do whatever it takes to change, that you're going to pursue the things where the value truly lies, when you become restless, then and only then will the yoke come off of your neck. People wonder why they cycle. Christians wonder why they continually spiral in this cycle. You're spiraling in this cycle because you're, you're, you're not become restless enough to get willing to change. Say this with me. Nothing is going to change until I get fed up. Right. And nothing is going to change until I'm determined to do something about it. So I'd ask you this morning, you want to thrive and not survive? Are you fed up enough to do whatever it takes? That's the question. Are you fed up enough to do whatever it takes? Greg, you're in business, right? Does it just show up at your door? You want to succeed, don't you? That's right. You, what, what do you do? You actively pursue it, don't you? You work it. You do whatever it takes. You drive to West Palm if you have to. You go to Key West if you have to. You do whatever it takes. And we desire that each one of you, Hebrews chapter 6, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence with full assurance. So God is, here's instructions from the word of God. Hebrews is saying, be diligent to your hope and be diligent with full assurance. And watch this verse. This verse is going to get, this is going to get painful. Verse 12 is a little painful. It's okay. We can take it. Do not become lazy, but follow those through faith and patience who inherit the promises. So how do we inherit the promises? Right here is a prescription to inherit the promises. The first thing it says is that you have to be diligent. You have to actively pursue the promise and the conditions to be met with full and full assurance until the end. In other words, you cannot quit. You must not be lazy. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And your poverty comes upon you like an armed man. Laziness always produces poverty. The hand of the diligent makes one rich, but the hand of the slothful will come to to lack. Follow those through faith and patience. So here's how we inherit it. Diligence, passionate pursuit with hope, not giving up, not quitting. Following those who through patience and faith. So we not only have to have faith to do something, we have to have patience, right? Patience. I grew up in Michigan and they had lots of farmland where I grew up. And so every year the farmer would go out there with this big metal thing and big tractor and he'd whip around the field and cut these nice little lines in the ground. And then he'd come again with another machine and he'd spray what looked like dust into the grooves that he had just done. And then he went home and then he never saw him again. Now, that would be a foolish act if he didn't, ha- if he didn't believe that what he just did was going to produce a result. Faith. He had to have faith that if I cut this soil and I sow this seed, it's going to produce. But did, that, did it produce overnight? It didn't produce overnight. They would start planting corn, I think, in April. And it would always be knee-high by 4th of July. That would tell them if they were going to have a good crop or not. And so they wouldn't even see the crop April, May, June. They'd start seeing the crop come through in late May, early June. So they would, sow, they would work the field. Some of you, you have to work the field. You have to sow the seed, and then you have to have patience. Patience. 
You're believing God. You're do, you, Lord, I've cut the ground. Yes. I've moved the rocks. Yes. I've sown the seed. Yes. Now have patience. Let it grow. Let it grow. You can't harvest. They couldn't harvest the corn when it was knee high. But when it became full grown, it was a harvest party, man. They used to party when it was harvest time. You shouldn't cry when your harvest comes in. You shouldn't cry when I'm, you should celebrate when your blessing comes because God has full, full, full desire. If you want a blessing and you want a harvest, you have got to learn to cut the soil. You have got to learn. They would have to move barriers, move rocks out of the way, cut the soil, sow the seed, and then have patience. And you'll inherit the promise. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. Be diligent. Pay attention. Do whatever it takes. Have faith. Don't be lazy. And be consistent. So I have a couple questions for you. Are you restive? Are you restless? Are you restless? There's nothing wrong with being restless. Being content is a lot different than being restless. I'm satisfied in where I am, but I am restless to get for more. I am hungry for more. I am, come on, somebody, come on, you can celebrate that. You're, it's contentment. We, we just preach this message of contentment. Well, you just need to be comfortable with what God has given you. Well, God has promised me. What I have is not what he's promised me, right? Caleb's a great example of that. Caleb understood the promises. He said, listen, the Lord made me a promise. And I've waited 40 long years. And you, Joshua, I'm I'm telling you right now, they go into, so 40 years. So here's the story. 40 years, the wilderness journey, right? Two spies believed God and said, we can take it because God's with us. The majority, so God is never in the majority. If you want to know something, the voice of the Lord is never in the majority. The majority said, we can't take the land because we're inadequate. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can take it because God's with us. The faithless generation, the ones that refused to believe God, they died in the wilderness and got nothing. Zero. Read it. Zero. They died. They spent 40 years playing a game called Round the Mountain. Here we go, Round the Mountain. 40 years of wandering around the same mountain. Again and again in the same cycles. In the same cycles. People do this all the time. They spend their entire life circling the same cycles. And they think it's their spouse or they think it's their kids or they think it's their job. No look in the mirror. It's you. Nothing changes on the outside until it changes on the inside. And Jesus is the master of internal internal, uh, remodeling. Nobody does it like Jesus. Nobody does it like the Holy Spirit. And so for 40 years, Joshua and Caleb watched their faithless friends die. Until another generation was born that was willing to believe God. We need to raise up and be a generation in our hour that is willing to believe God. We cannot leave our harvest in the field. We cannot. God will pass this generation over unless it rises up. He will. Oh, no, God would never do that. Read your book. Read your Bible. He had no problem with it. No problem. He let an entire generation accomplish nothing because no one would believe him. No one would have faith. No one would step up and go, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm all in. I will not trade my spiritual birthright for pots of meat. I will not value the carnal more than the spiritual. And so 40 years later, they're going into the land. And Joshua's in charge now, Caleb's buddy. And they're all getting in line. You know what they're getting in line for? 
They're getting in line for the rewards. I want to show you what Caleb did. Caleb pushed to the front of the line. He said, all y'all latecomers out of my way. And he walked up to that table and he made a speech. And he said, I have been faithful to the Lord for 40 years. I am as strong this day as I was then. For my coming in, for my going out, for the sowing and the reaping, for the planting and the the gathering, and for war and for peace. There is nothing faulty in me. Now give me what God has promised me. It's true. Do you know why? Caleb was content, but he knew God had promised him something. And when he saw the hour being struck and he said, God's dealing out, doling out promises, let me to the front of the line. And he didn't hesitate to ask for what is his. Well, pastor, we just got to be, you, you know, that's fine. You won't inherit the promises. God has promises. And he wants to know if you're willing to go for it. If you know what's yours. Are you restive? Do you realize that God has made, anybody here, God's made a promise to you? A lot of you, when you come to Christ in your youth, you know what he does? He seals a promise over you. It gives you a sense of destiny, gives you a sense of calling. Have you achieved that? Every son and daughter that is born of God is made with a promise. And if you've never received a promise over your life, you need to ask for one. Lord, put a promise over my life. Let him say whatever he wants to do. Let him say it. That's what happened to me. The Lord said, you're going to lead my people. That's the only thing he said to me. I'm 19 years old. I couldn't lead a dog. I didn't, I didn't know how to lead anything. I knew nothing. He's made promises over me, even in the now and in the future, that I've yet to see. God will be faithful. And I will actively pursue those things. No matter, I refuse to be lazy. I will work towards them. I will change what I have to change in order to achieve the things that God has set before me. Are you going to allow, as a son and daughter, do you, when are you going to realize you don't have to live this way? Do you know that? At some point, you've got to realize, no matter what's going on in the world, you, do, you are not subject to the world's economy. I refuse to participate in the recession. I make serve notice upon time and space, the world that is and the world that is yet to come, that this church and her people will not participate in a recession. We are not bound by the world's economy. We are bound by heavens. And heaven's never been broke, nor has his people ever lacked anything. You don't have to live this way. Are you going to let the enemy and the circumstances that come upon you go unanswered? Are you going to be a victim or are you going to be a victor? But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Laying bricks hard. Faith's hard. It's the fight of faith, is it not? Come on, it's a fight. Fight the what? Good fight of what? Faith. It's a good fight because if you fight it, you'll win. The prodigal son realized he didn't have to live this way. Guys living in pig slop. How many people out there living in pig slop? Son and daughter of the highest, yet you live way below your beans, way below your calling, way below your destiny. When are you going to realize that you don't have to live this way? How many of my father's servants are well-fed and well-clothed? I will go to him and present it this way. What he didn't realize is he never lost his sonship. He never lost it. The woman with the issue of blood, she said, I don't have to live this way anymore. The son of righteousness comes with healing in his wings. Jairus says, I don't care what the social costs are. Jairus, the head of the synagogue. Jairus is a son of a man who was a leader of the synagogue. He was president and CEO culturally known socially known but his daughter was sick and there was no means and guys in his position did not associate with jesus the leaders of the synagogues weren't wanting to rub shoulders with jesus they weren't jesus was a religious outcast to them he didn't fit their mold 
And Jairus got tired of it. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm not living this way anymore. And he got rid of what everybody thinks. So many people, you don't come to Jesus because you're worried about what everybody thinks. You're so worried about what everybody's opinion of you is. You refuse to live the dominance of your faith out loud because you're afraid of what people think. The Syrophoenician woman, she said, I don't have to live this way anymore. I may be an outcast. I may be an unwanted, but the one with the answer is in front of me. Naaman, the Syrian general. I don't have to live this way anymore. I'm not doing it. Naaman took off his armor. Here's a Syrian general, a man of wealth and status, clothed in armor, and God says, dip in a dirty river. You want to be clean? Go dip in a dirty river. And his pride came up, and he says, I will not. And his servant talked sense into him, and he said, if the Lord would have told you something difficult, would you have done it? Of course you would. But because the Lord demands but a simple matter from you, Will you not do it? That's why people look out there. You won't come to Jesus because your pride comes up. I will not. You know who I am. I'm a man of status. I refuse. Huh? Bible says Naaman took off his armor. He was a leper. A leper. Do you know what that means? He had sores all over his skin. The man of status and position had to remove that and show that to his men. The people that were leading him had to see his vulnerability. He was leading, saw his vulnerability. And he went and he dipped seven times in the Jordan and he was healed. And I guarantee you on the first three times, he's thinking to himself, this is stupid. Why do I have to dip in a river? I feel vulnerable. I feel naked. Wait a minute. The sores are leaving. Oh my gosh. He did what the Lord said and and it activated. People don't come to Christ because of their pride. Christians don't follow Christ because of their pride. Christians don't want anybody to know they're a Christian. Don't want anybody to know. We wear armor. We don't wear camo, guys. Who cares? The only one we need to please is him. So here it is. So people go, return to the Lord. I don't know what to do. I'm going to give it to you. Two quick sections. How do I return to the Lord? Everybody say it with me. Number one. Come on, we do better than that. Number one. There we go. Settle it in your heart. That's right. That I'm not living this way anymore. That's right. That's the first thing you need to do. When you want to return to the Lord, you have to change your heart. And you have to settle it in your heart that I'm not living this way anymore. Proverbs says, as a person believes in their heart, so they are. You have to lay hold of who you are. Identity is monstrously huge in this scripture. It's not just knowing who you are. That's the huge part. If you can get people to just start accepting who, you are, who they are in Christ, that's, that's the big, that's the huge hurdle. Then the next hurdle is to get them to actually do and live as they are. The first step is to get them to know that they're sons and daughters. Then the second step is to get them to actually live like they're sons and daughters. You have to believe who you are. You have to believe who he is as a person believes in their hearts, so they are. So one of my favorite verses, I'm going to give you an all-time verse. If you're around me for a while, you're going to hear me probably quote this a hundred times in your lifetime. Galatians 4. I love this verse. I say to you that the heir, so long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. I love that verse. That verse changed me. I live by that verse today. You are heirs. Christ's people, Jesus' people, Jesus' sons and daughters are heirs, but they're no different than slaves as long as they're immature. 
Why are God's people slaves? Slaves to circumstances. Slaves to situations. Because they lack maturity. The heir is no different than a slave. As long as they are immature. Even though you are masters of everything. We are masters of everything. But we're slaves because we're immature in our faith. We're immature in our knowledge of who he is. We're immature of his word. We're immature of our own identity. We're immature of the responsibilities that we have and the actions that we are to take and live by as believers. What happens are we are under stewards. A lot of you, your inheritance is being stewarded by another. You're under stewards. Your inheritance is being managed by someone, not you. Why is your inheritance being managed by someone, not you? Because you're not mature enough to handle it. Say it with me. It's time to grow up. We have to grow up. We have to grow up in our most holy faith, the Bible tells us. Grow up. Number two, change your thinking. So we have to change our heart. We have to change our thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed. Metamorpho. Become another person. This word transformed isn't like... It means metamorpho. It's the image of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A caterpillar... When you see a butterfly and a caterpillar, they look nothing alike. Right? You're like, that became that? Exactly. That's the word transformation. It's metamorpho. Become someone you are not. Become who you are destined to be. A caterpillar's destined to be a butterfly. That's its destiny. Isn't it? Metamorpho. We metamorpho by the way that by changing the way that we think. And then the will of God becomes known to us. When does the will of God become known to us? Romans 12 tells us. The will of God becomes known to us when we begin to transform our thinking. When you begin to transform your thinking and you begin to filter that I'm a son of the highest, all of a sudden the will of God becomes made known to you. What is the purpose of my life as a son? The will of God begins manifested to you. What is the purpose of my business? What is the purpose of my job as a son or a daughter? What is the purpose of everything as a son or a daughter? The will of God knows. Then change the direction of your speech. Can I get a witness? Oh my gosh, we are like negative talkers. I'm not talking about a bad day. You have to repent and you have to crucify your speech. I'm going to tell you something else. Some of y'all maybe have to go back and repent of some things you said a while ago or some habits you've had. And I I, I live destiny. I'm practicing destiny. And these things I'm not lecturing you on, these are things that I, I do. Okay, I live by this. And so the Lord has to confront me and tell me, you know, you, you need to change the way, the direction of your talking, Kevin. You need to change your negativity. You need to change the cutting remarks and the things that you have in these areas. And you need to change it. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And I know some people are out there. That pastor, what's he? Yeah, he really needs to work on that. Yeah, let me hold a mirror up. Okay? You too. Bible says that anyone who can, can, greater is he who controls his mouth than he that takes a city. The greatest person, if you are greater than a conqueror of a city, if you can control your speech. James says a tongue is a small thing, yet it is set on fire by hell. It's a rudder that directs the course of our life. We have to change the way that we talk. We have to speak faith and not doubt. We have to speak hope and not death. Speak faith. Not, it doesn't look good. doesn't matter. Speak faith. We're going over. Man, it's, everything's going under. We're going over. We're going over. And this time, you know, the biggest problem is most Christians are all sequestered at home. And all they're doing is feeding on the news. Feeding on the news. Do you think the news channel has anything good to say? They don't have anything good to say right now. 
I'm not saying, well, I like to keep up on the times. I get it. Keep up on the times, but feed your spirit at the same way. And even have that, if you that message, turn it around for something good. God is going to change it. It's changing. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, Ephesians 4, unless it's good for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. Unless it builds somebody up, don't say it. That's another way of saying, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Ephesians 4.29. That it may impart grace to the hearer. What is grace? Spiritual power moving in love. I want to impart grace to you this morning. Something that builds you up. Something that makes power come into your life and moves you forward. Secondly, feed your spirit. Last part. Partner with faith-filled, destiny-filled, identity-filled, kingdom-filled teaching. Yeah. If you're a student of the Word of God and you listen to teachers, you need to listen to things that are filled with faith. You need to listen to things that are filled with destiny. You need to listen to things that are filled with identity and that are filled with kingdom teaching. That's the only thing that transforms you. Knowledge doesn't transform. Spirit transforms. Power transforms. Learn to encounter Jesus and the Holy Spirit in worship. You need to become a worshiper. You need to activate worship. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, Ephesians 3.18. What is the width, the length, the depth, the height? That you may know, gnosis, the hope of his calling that surpasses knowledge according to the work that works in it. You can read it later. But the idea is that Paul is praying that you would get a hold of this thing by experience. Verse 19 is the Greek word for know is epignosis. It's experiential knowledge. It's not a knowledge of the head. And so what we do is we learn to worship Jesus. Learn to worship him. Worship him in the morning. Worship him in the noontime. Worship him in the evening. How do you do that? I don't know what gets you in the spirit. I don't know what gets you in the spirit. If how great thou art gets you in the spirit, then put it on a loop. You know, whatever music, whatever song, whatever, whatever motion gets you in the spirit, put that thing on a loop. And go into the spirit and allow the power of God to begin to move and reign over your life. Allow the power of God to begin to wash over you and move inside of you. Just open yourself up and let him move. You encounter him in the spirit through worship. Receive, release, love. Open your mind. God's going to give you revelation in those encounters. Here's the Christian's word. We don't want to encounter the devil now, pastor. We got to be careful of that because we don't want to encounter the devil don't worry. You'll encounter the devil whether you, want, but you, whether you want to or not, but you will not encounter Jesus unless you invite him. Nobody's encountering Jesus unless he's invited. Just, that's just the way it is. Third thing, read the book. Ready? It's another life-changing verse for me. This was huge. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it in it day and night. And you shall observe to do everything that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Long before Tony Robbins had a success message, Jesus had one. Joshua chapter 1. Put the word of God in your heart. Put the word of God in your mouth. Meditate in it and speak it day and night. Do what it tells you to do, and you're going to succeed. People go, I don't know where to read. Start in John. I'm out of time. Start in John. Read the Gospels. Read it. And somebody recently told me, Pastor, I don't have a Bible. My answer was, do you have a phone? <laughs> do you have a phone? If you have a phone, you have a Bible. U version. In the App Store. Download it. Very easy. 
Very user-friendly. Audio Bibles, reading Bibles, Bible plans, study Bible. You got the whole works on that one app, and it's free. Need to hide the word in your heart. Bible says, how will they know unless they're taught? You do say this with me. I do not have to understand the word of God in order to read it. You're called to read it. He didn't say understand it. Understanding is added to you. Romans says, how will they comprehend unless they're taught? You will not be able to comprehend the word of God unless you're taught. But what happens is, is you feel the word of God in your heart. You begin to get it in your word and your heart. And all of a sudden it's being taught. And you're like, oh, that's what that means. You're getting a revelation into the thing that's in your heart. We don't like to do the things we like, right? The things that are good for you, you don't really like. Exercise. Can I get a witness? Right? You're like, I'm going to work out. You get yourself dressed and then you start doing about five or six push-ups, and you're like, this is terrible. Who wants to do that? Right? I have my, we had our grandson all week and Rowan will eat anything, right? You give him squash. He's like, yeah, I give him spinach. He's like, keep it coming. Right? That kid will eat anything. My daughter, on the other hand, when I used to feed her, she didn't like spinach. We'd give her spinach and she'd do this. That's what happens with most Christians. Read your Bible. You need to worship. Lift your hands and worship. And you make a mess out of yourself and you make a mess out of everybody around you. You ever feed a baby and they start spitting it out? They don't just get it on themselves. They get it on you. I used to have to feed. I fed Mariah with my shirt off. I actually would be willing to take my shirt off back then, but I'd go to feed Mariah and I'd have my shirt off. Why? Because that kid's going to spit it on me, man. I'm going to wear it. <laughs> you wonder why moms and dads of young kids don't have, really, don't have nice shirts? Dads especially. huh? You don't have a nice shirt? Because your kid's puking on it all the time, right? Or spitting on it all the time. But we don't like the things that are good for us, but the things that are good for us are necessary. The word of God is necessary. The worship is necessary. Communion with church is necessary. All these things are necessary. Let me just recap it. You've got to become restless. You've got to rise up and take action. You've got to rise up. It's got to matter to you to change. Nothing's changing until you do. Nothing's changing until you set your heart. And you have to do whatever it takes. So you've got to become restless. Restless. Are you going to let these things go in your life unanswered? Or are you going to rise up and say, that's not the way this is going down? You have to do whatever it takes and you need to have faith and patience. And this is the last point. You need to settle it that quitting is not an option. Quitting has to come off the table. Quitting has to come off the table. I say this to married people all the time. I have, I'm not always successful at it, but I tell them, divorce is not an option. It's not. Change is an option. Change is an option. Divorce is not the option. Quitting is not the option. Change is the option, but quitting is never the option. Never. Those who draw back, my soul has no pleasure in. So when we look at Jesus and we say, what are the things that please him? Faith pleases him. When we draw back, it doesn't please him. So when we quit as believers, it doesn't please him. Quitting is a lot easier than changing. You ever notice that? Some weird thing about us as humans is that it's so much easier to quit than it is to change. Would you rather change? We need you to change. No, I quit. I'm not doing it. This is what we do. It's like, you're, it's like weird behavior. Like we can progress if we'll just change. 
But rather than change, we quit. <laughs> you got to become restless. Do what it takes. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus. Do you believe that? You have to give him something to work with. Change on the inside. Change the attitude of your heart. Change the direction of your thinking. Change the profession of your words. I don't care if you feel like a fool. Say it anyway. I'm living and not dying. I go to the mirror. I used to go to the mirror because I would just beat it into my head. I would go to the mirror and I would tell myself, you are a son of the highest. In the beginning, I would go, see if anybody was looking, you know, go to the mirror, everybody's out of the house, and I'd go, uh, you're son of the highest. <laughs> now, it doesn't work like that because I have pounded that into my heart. I have pushed those things into my heart. I have, rest- I have pressed into that truth until that truth becomes my reality. And I accept nothing below that now. You are the son of the highest. This is not what's going to happen. This is not the way it's going down. It might sound foolish to you in the beginning, but as you begin to practice it, you're going to become bolder and bolder and bolder. The righteous are bold as lions. Bold as lions. When the enemy hits you with fear, hit him with faith. Nothing terrorizes the devil more than a Christian who knows who they are. Nothing terrorizes the devil more than a Christian who not only knows who they are, but knows what the promises are. That's right. Change on the inside. Change your attitude. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Then everything on the outside is going to change if you let him do the work on the inside in Jesus' name. So I just want to close this prayer. And I know there are those that are watching. And we pray for you. We pray for you that you are that person. That's watching this and you don't know where to go or what to do. And you turned into this stream and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. And here I am telling you that Jesus is your answer and he's your answer. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him. And if there's anyone here and you don't have never received Christ in your heart, we all come to Jesus the same way. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, none of us can make it. None of us have the ability. None of us have the background. None of us have the education. None of us have the natural abilities. None of us have the looks to make it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's offering you a gift. Say, how do I get the gift? He tells us that too. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead and you will be saved. Say, that sounds simple. Yeah, it's simple because Jesus does all the heavy lifting. If that's you, I want to encourage you to do that with us this morning. We're all going to pray together. We want to invite you into this prayer. And God's going to do what he said he's going to do. He said, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is who he says he is and that he's risen from the dead, he's going to come into your heart. He's going to forgive you. He's going to change everything about you. He's going to change your reality. He's going to change your future. He's going to change your destiny. And so let's pray together. Elevate, pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. 
in Jesus' name. You say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. We love you. If you prayed that prayer with us, send us an email, Elevate Miami Church. We'd love to know. Send you some stuff. Bless you. But when we bless you one more time, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. God bless you guys. We love you. Through every battle.